if you've not been around Life Church, uh, a TMT is a two-minute teaching, training, testimony. Sometimes we do missions, travels. And so today we welcome Brent Van Andel to give us a TMT. Thanks, Steve. So the TMT this morning is on a pastor from Ukraine named Laos Galashi. He died in 2017 at the age of 92. I learned his trip on our recent trip to Ukraine last month. He lived in the Transcarpathian region, which is in western Ukraine. And there's a picture of his church in Munkats, Ukraine, built in 1795. It's right across the street from the Luke Society Clinic there. What's interesting about the history of the Reformed Church in this area, in western Ukraine, was that uh, the Reformed Church was started in 1532, shortly after the Reformation. There were students who uh, went to study in Germany, and then they returned to their communities and brought back the, the lessons they had learned. So Laos Galashi became a pastor in 1946, and then three years later, as a result of his pastoral work, he was forced to go to a Soviet concentration camp. He was in that camp for seven years, and during that time, his fiance would send him cookies wrapped in pages of the Bible. The Bible was uh, forbidden in the camp, and so if the guards found that he was reading the Bible or pages of the Bible, they would confiscate his materials and take, take them away. Also, if his fellow prisoners found that uh, he had these pieces of paper, they would try to steal them so that they could roll uh, cigarettes and use them for cigarettes. So what he did was he would read these pages of the Bible in his bed under his covers. He cut a hole in his blanket so the light would shine through, and every night he would uh, read the Bible uh, the pages that his fiance would, would uh, send him. So after seven years in this camp, he was released. He married his fiance, who had been faithful and true to him all those years, and he began his pastoral work again in the church in Munkats in Ukraine. So today, his grandson Daniel is a pastor in the same church that he was. We had the opportunity to meet him last month. He's the gentleman in the center. The story teaches me that our faithfulness has a ripple effect. When we are faithful to the call that God has given us, God blesses not only those around us, but also the generations that will come after us. Our scripture today is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pyrmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How many of you have any sort of a problem in your life right now? Can we just see a show of hands? Any sort of a problem? Okay. Um, the rest of you are probably lying. But I'm sorry, I don't know what that feels like. Uh, I, I can imagine that's a very difficult place to be in. Uh, of course, I have problems too, right? Lots of them. If, if I would spend the sermon talking about my problems, we might be here a long, long time. And the big deal here is that all of us have lots of problems. And over the course of my life, I've seen that um, my attitude towards problems has shifted a little bit. You know, I used to think problems were just a nuisance. They're just an inconvenience, a roadblock on the way to life being really great. It's like if I didn't have these things, then my life could actually be really great. And, and so why, do, why are these things there, Lord? You know? And I've started in recent years thinking about problems a little differently. I've tried, anyway, to start thinking about them a little bit more biblically. And uh, this past week, a pastor friend of mine, we were texting about a verse and pondering it together. It's Romans 5, 3. It says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. You could put in problems there. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And that's a perspective shift, right? Like to glory not only in, our, in, our, in the good things, but in our sufferings to rejoice even in our sufferings, in our problems. And in essence, what Paul is saying there is don't miss the potential in your problems. Don't miss the potential in your problems. And I think that's what our passage, it's one of the big things that our passage here in Acts is saying today. Don't miss the potential in your problems. All of us have them, lots of them, but there's potential in them. We've been in this series, if you've been with us over the summer, called Get Out. And today is the finale. Today's the last sermon in the Get Out series. And it's been an amazing journey walking through two stories in the scriptures, two narratives of God with his people. So the narrative of God with his people in the book of Exodus, getting them up out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And then the narrative of God with his people in Acts, the church, getting them out of Jerusalem, out into the world and on mission. And so we've been laying these two stories side by side, looking at similarities. And last week, we looked at how the Israelites were adding more leaders. Because frankly, Moses was maxed out. Moses was working from sunup to sundown. He was lone rangering it, as we called it last week, right? He was doing way, way too much. And we came around the big idea last week that in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as lone ranger leadership. Every time we see God bringing together people for himself, there's a multiplying of leaders. That's the way that God wants his kingdom to work. Not just one leader leading everybody, telling everybody what they're going to do, but lots and lots of leaders. And in that way, God's people flourish. And so today we come to the church in Acts, very similar story, and we see them adding leaders again. And this time, the addition of leaders comes as the result of dealing with a significant problem in the church. 
So looking back, we can see there was actually a lot of potential tucked inside this problem. Of course, they couldn't see it at the time, which none of us can, right? Like, it would be awesome if you could see every problem that you're dealing with and say, oh, this is the potential in that problem. This is what God's doing in that problem. This is how God is strengthening me and working in my life. But you can't see that in the time, right? You can only see that looking back. And so we have the, the benefit of hindsight today to see the potential in this problem. But I hope that that can help us to consider what might be the potential in your problems today. What might God be doing in the midst of your circumstances today? Because he was clearly doing something in this problem in the book of Acts. So I have four Ps for us today to look at in this scenario. I want us to notice the problem they were dealing with in the church, the priority they set before the problem, okay, the, pr the proposal that they came up with, and then finally the potential that is realized. So the problem, the priority, the proposal, and the potential. Here we go. Verse 1. First of all, the problem. Now, the fact that the church in Acts is dealing with a problem is honestly a little bit comforting to me. Because how many of you have talked about the church in Acts in some sort of like nostalgic kind of the good old days kind of way? Like, if we could only get back to the church in Acts, that's when everything was awesome. And that's when lots of cool things were happening. And of course, it's true. We've looked at lots of miracles happening in the church in Acts. Amazing, amazing things. It's awesome. But hey, they had problems too as we see, right? They, they stepped on each other's toes. They offended one another. They obviously had biases. They got frustrated with each other, had prejudices about one another. They didn't always do things right and fair. The church in Acts was sinful too. They needed the forgiveness of Jesus just as much as our church needs the forgiveness of Jesus, right? Conflict in the church has been happening since the very beginning of the church. And of course, problems in the church persist even today. We're no different. So let's look at this specific problem that they're having. Verse 1 tells us about it. It says, the disciples were increasing in number. That's a good problem, right? They're having a growth problem. That's a good problem. But they were increasing very, very quickly. And so there, these were growing pains. Like, it's anytime you're a part of an organization that's growing really rapidly, you know that you're trying to keep all the plates spinning. And it can be easy for things to get overlooked. It can be easy for people to fall through the cracks and lose track of people. And that's exactly what's happening here. So here's the deal. There were two groups of Jews that comprised the church in Jerusalem. There were the Hebrew, speak, or the Hebrew Jews who spoke Aramaic, and they were most likely from Palestine. And then there were the, there were the Hellenistic Jews, who were Greek-speaking, most likely from the Greco-Roman world around them. All right? So there's, there's these two groups. And New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce puts it like this. He says, In the Jewish world as a whole, there was some tension between Hebrews and Hellenists. And this tension survived between members of the two groups who had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah and been incorporated into the Messianic community. Okay, so what Bruce is saying here is you've got these Hebrew Jews and you've got these Greek Jews and they had tension before they became Christians and then they became Christians and everything magically disappeared. No, it's not what happened. Right? All that garbage followed them right along into the church. All their prejudices, all their, all their tensions with, each, with one another followed them right along into the church. And how many of you have realized that frustrating reality? Right? You become a Christian, and then you realize, oh, that thing that was a part of me when I wasn't a Christian is still there, and it's ugly. And then you get to church, and you're like, hey, they brought some baggage with them too, didn't they? 
you know? And that is exactly the picture that we find of the church. That's the reality of the church. We're a bunch of broken people, sometimes with U-Hauls full of baggage behind us, right? We're dragging in our U-Haul. Here I am at church, and I got my U-Haul full of crap behind me that I brought from all over this, this place, and Jesus has redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit is working in us, yes, making us new, but that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lifetime, and then some, for God to make us like Jesus, so that's the, the scenario we find ourselves in. The church is a hot mess. And it's been like that. It's been like that since the very beginning. With good, better times and worse times. But it's a hot mess. That's what's going on here in the church in Acts 2. And you'll recall, there was a common pot or a common fund that people would sell possessions and land and give into this fund. And then out of that common fund, they would distribute to any in the church as they had need. Right? And we read about this in other chapters in Acts, and we look at them and like, look at how awesome they were doing. They were basically the, the best kind of communists, right? And they were, they were making sure everybody's taken care of. Well, apparently it wasn't going that well because some people were being neglected, right? It says the Hellenistic widows were at a disadvantage. They were getting neglected in the distribution. Why? The text doesn't tell us. We don't know. But I think the only explanation that makes sense is probably more Hebrews we're in charge of the distribution of the stuff, right? Because there's this prejudice that exists. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. So this is the problem that's brought to the leadership of the church. And notice, tucked inside this problem was incredible potential. But they couldn't see it at the moment. It probably just felt ugly, like, ooh, we claim the name of Jesus. We're Christians, and yet we're playing preferential games we're, we're preferring these widows over those widows. We're giving special treatment to these people over those people. That just feels awful and ugly, doesn't it? But there's an opportunity in there. And the same is true for us. When the church goes through problems or when we go through problems as individuals in our lives, it can be really, really easy to just see it as a waste of time and energy. Especially when the church goes through it, I just often think of like, oh man, we just look so stupid to the outside world. We just look so foolish. Like we can't even get along. We're the light of the world, and we're like barely flickering, you know? We're struggling in here. How is that a good look to the, to the outside world? But if we look at problems with God's eyes, we can see potential. We can see the possibilities of growth and maturity. See, friends, because God doesn't waste anything in his children's lives. Uh, remember how the Apostle Paul puts this in Romans chapter 8. He says in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So he sees as all things. And all things includes the bad things. Now, what that doesn't mean is that the bad things for Christians become good things. Not at all. They're still bad things. It was still a bad thing that there was prejudice going on in the church at Jerusalem. That was a bad thing that the Hellenistic widows were being neglected. Um, that doesn't somehow become a good thing. But the fact that God was working in it, the fact that God was with them in it meant that there was potential even in them having to deal with that problem. God was working in that tension that would inevitably arise for the church's good and for the growth of all of his children. And I'm wondering if you're looking at your problems this way. Like, are they simply inconveniences that stand in the way of your happy life? Um, or are they opportunities? for your growth and for maturity, for you becoming more like Jesus. Like I said, it's never easy to see the potential inside the problem. 
But the more that we can become convinced that it is there, that God has something for me in this, God is doing something in the midst of this problem, the more we can begin to trust him like we sang this morning. Even if it's as simple as, hey, I'm learning to trust God in the midst of difficult things. Well, that's an incredible opportunity for growth, right? The big idea here is that every problem, every problem has potential when you belong to God. So that's the problem that we see here in this passage. But even in the midst of this problem, we see there's a priority maintained by the disciples. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then in verse 4 they say, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So remember last week we talked about lone rangerism. And lone rangerism in this circumstance is what it would look like. The disciples would say, hey, look, we got to preach the word. we got to pray. we got to minister to people. Uh, but we've also got this problem, so let's just stack this problem on top of the other things that we're doing. Let's just add this to our plate. But that isn't what they do. These guys are boundaried. They know they can't do it all. They know to say yes to something else is to say a no to this other thing over here. They don't have um, unlimited resources of energy. They know that they have, uh, they have certain limitations on them as human beings. And so they have to set priorities. They can't make more energy. So they use this problem here as an opportunity to rehearse their priorities. Look at what they say. It's not right that we should give up on this thing, preaching the word, praying to serve tables. In other words, serving tables is important. That's a very important work in the church. But this is our priority, the word, preaching, prayer. We don't want these things to be shortchanged just so that we can accomplish all the tasks. And we feel the same way here at Life Church, that the preaching of the gospel, prayer, the ministry of the word, those are really, really important things, and we don't ever want them to become secondary things. We want to make sure that all the needs in the church are being met, but we don't want these things to be undermined. We don't want these things to be compromised. And it's really, really important for church leaders and for individuals to have priorities because then when the needs rise in an organization or in your life, if you have priorities in place, you know when you've got too much. You know when you need to train other leaders, when you need to empower other people, when you need to try to collaborate and work with others so that all the needs can get met, but the priorities are maintained. And that's what we see the disciples doing here. Um, a couple of good examples in the life of our church. You know, I used to do a ton of financial counseling here in Life Church, just meeting with people um, and walking through their budgets and trying to figure out where they weren't making ends meet and, and what the problems were there. And honestly, I love it. I, I kind of wired that way. I like helping people win with finances. But it started taking up a lot of my time, especially as people started coming in from the community. Then you got to try to figure out, is their story true? What other pastors in town are they telling the same story to? And I started figuring out, like, hey, they told the same story to this guy, this guy, this guy, and kind of making the rounds. And so we, ha we started looking for a different solution, like, hey, this is going to take up pretty much my whole week after a while. And we found this great organization that was started by uh, local churches in town to do this very thing, to help people in financial difficulties, and it's called the community outreach. And they sit down with people, they go through their budgets, they get to know all the resources that are available in the city. So way better job than I could ever do. And now we do all of our giving through them. And so almost every week I have a conversation with somebody from Community Outreach. Hey, I'm sending this person to you. This is, you know, this, this is their story, kind of the story they gave me. Will you review their stuff and, and advise us on how we should give? 
And it goes really well. It's a great partnership. You know, um, a couple of years ago, um, Kyle came to me and said, hey, I feel the Holy Spirit burdening me for a car ministry in Sioux Falls, for cars for the working poor of Sioux Falls. Like, it's just a really big piece of sustainability. And I said, okay, let's think about it. And we did a lot of work to get that off the ground, had a team together, had all our paperwork together, even started receiving and giving away a couple of cars, doing a few fixes. And at that moment, we were like, whoa, this is taking a lot of work, first of all. But then second of all, a new ministry we were introduced to a new ministry that was coming to town. They had already had a successful ministry in Rapid City, and Shift Garage was coming to plant a new garage to do the exact same thing. We looked at their mission. We looked at all the things they were doing, and we're like, this is identical to what we feel like God's laid on Kyle's heart and my heart. And so we partnered up with them, and now they are right down the street, literally just blocks from us here. And we can send people to them to get their cars fixed. We can go and help them if you want to volunteer there. It's an amazing, amazing ministry to partnership partner with. So we don't have to do all the car repairs, is what I'm saying, to make sure that we're helping in that area, right? As you know, um, we are, we've been discussing as elders— for a good long while now, this very passage here in Acts 6, because we, we know there's lots and lots of needs that come up in the church, and we want to make sure all those needs are covered, but we don't want the other things to get compromised. So we've been talking about having deacons, which is what these guys are considered to be in this passage, right? We've been talking about all the strengths that would come about of having these people who are empowered to serve the community of God's people in these ways. And, and we're hopeful that that will be um, a, ne a next step near down the road here, that we can empower more and more leaders. Because that's what happens when you put priorities in place, right? You say, okay, these are main priorities. So therefore, when the needs rise, we need to empower more leaders. We need to look at how we can launch more leaders into the community to make sure that all the needs get met, to make sure nobody falls through the cracks. So here again in Acts, just like with Moses, there's a proliferation of leaders, and that's a really, really good thing. So there we see the problem and the priority they maintain in the midst of it. But thirdly, we see a, a really wise proposal here in verse 3. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, and of wisdom, whom we'll, uh, we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and then they chose these seven. So just like Jethro's advice last week to Moses, where he's like, you're doing too much, you need to get more leaders, the advice is the same again this week. Hey, we've got more needs, we need to get more leaders. That's the solution. And again, there's some really high standards for this ministry role. Like, it wasn't like, oh, it's just serving tables, so we'll take any warm body. You know, it's like, no, these are really high standards. I, I look at the qualifications. I especially love full of the spirit and of wisdom. That's the kind of people that they were looking for, right? Which I love because, hey, what's the number one thing that qualifies you for ministry in the church? Is it a really charismatic personality? You know, is it uh, having a degree in something or another? No. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the number one thing that qualifies a person for ministry. They look for a person full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So if you're a person that said, ah, I, I don't think I could ever do anything in the church. I don't think I could ever lead anything in the church. I would just say, hey, if you're a Christian you have the Holy Spirit, you really need to reconsider that, right? Because you have the main thing that you need. We, we'll train you, we'll work with you, we'll hone some of your skills, but the Holy Spirit is the one who qualifies for ministry. And again, I rejoice that our leaders here at Life Church meet these qualifications. 
we're blessed and we want God to continue to raise up all kinds of leaders like this who are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Now, one thing that all the commentators note and that I think is really interesting in this passage about this proposal is all the guys that they appoint, that the church appoints, they all have Greek names. I don't, know if you, I don't speak Greek fluently, so I didn't realize that until I read the commentators, but I'm like, oh, interesting. They all have Greek names. So it may very well be that the Holy Spirit led them to this very wise proposal to say, look, if the problem is that the Greek widows are being neglected, what better solution than to employ some Greek deacons to make sure that that balance is restored, to make sure that they're well taken care of? seems by all accounts that this was a wise proposal. And look, the final thing we see is then the potential in this problem is realized. Look at the potential in this problem that, that comes out of it. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's how this problem was resolved. Like, it wasn't like, hey, and then the church kind of limped along, and, and they eventually got over it. It's like, no, you see an explosion of fruit. This decision to employ deacons produced immediate fruit in the church. New leaders are empowered. Disciples are being trained and made. The lost are coming to faith in Christ. Like, this is basically our exact mission statement. We say we glorify Jesus Christ by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're longing for. And that's what was happening here in the church. So in hindsight and looking back, it's obvious to see the potential that was sitting tucked inside this problem. With a careful following of the Spirit's guidance, this problem turned into tons of growth for the church. I'm hoping you can begin to see that as well, that, hey, with God, there's potential in every problem potential in every single problem. And I'm wondering where you're at with that this morning. I'm wondering if you can begin to trust that today. Now, hey, I'm not, I'm certainly not asking, can you start to see the potential in every problem? Because even if you think you know what God's doing in a particular problem in your life, you can't be sure, right? You don't really know what he's up to. He might be doing something totally different than you think. So it's impossible to see exactly what God is doing in the problem, to see the potential in the problem, but to start trusting that there is potential, to start trusting that there is opportunity, to start trusting that there is purpose in every single thing that you're facing. That's the big idea. That'll get you a long way. Now, how do we come to, to trust this God and that he has good for us tucked away even inside some of our worst problems? I think the clear answer for that is we need only look at our Jesus and look at how he worked in your biggest problem. See, friends, because remember, we had a pretty big problem, didn't we? Called sin and death. And that's where we were headed. We were stuck there. We were hopeless. We had rebelled against God, run far away from him, and we were headed towards destruction. There was nothing in between our path and destruction. And in the midst of that, Jesus saw potential in the big problem of our lives. He saw incredible potential. Jesus saw what we could be as renewed image bearers of God. And even though he knew this would cost him greatly, he did what he needed to do to see that potential realized. Uh, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. So the joy that was set before Jesus was us. 
Right? He said, I want them. I want them back in God's family where they always belonged. I see the potential in them. And because of the potential that he saw in you and me, Jesus willingly laid down his life. He died, was raised again on the third day so that he could rescue us from our huge problem of sin and death once and for all. Jesus saw potential in us and in our problems. And maybe you're here today and you've never heard of a God like this, a God who sees you at your ugliest and says, I love you. I see potential in you. I see what you could be, what God meant you to be. And I've died and risen again to make that a possible reality. I've died and risen again so that you can come into my family so that I can redeem you. That's what's been done for you. And now God is offering you a life in his family. He's welcoming you back in. He's saying, come, I will restore you. I will make you the bright, radiant, immortal creature like you're supposed to be by the power of my spirit. You'll grow out of your old ways and into the new ways that God meant you to have. You'll have life finally. And if you want to receive that invitation, there's going to be people up here to pray with you today. We would love to talk to you more about a life of following Jesus, a life of discipleship. But for the rest of you who are Christians today, you know, maybe you're here, but you're a disappointed Christian because you got lots of problems. And uh, that's fair, right? If you listen to some people, some Christians that talk on TV, uh, especially the health and wealth prosperity people, uh, you're, you could get really disappointed fast because you could say, hey, look, I thought life was supposed to get better as a Christian. I thought I was supposed to get less problems, but it seems like the opposite has happened. And here's the deal, friends. There's some truth in the prosperity preaching in that your main problems are gone when you become a Christian. Sin and death, gone. Those problems are eliminated, right? Jesus took the two biggies. The rest of them are still there, and some of them get worse, right? And I don't know, but I've never been to anybody's house you know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I've never seen that above someone's door. You know, like, in this world, you will have trouble, Jesus. It's not something that people put on their fridges or above their doors, but it is true. Jesus promised that. You'll have trouble. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. I'm in your problems. I'm working even in the midst of them. And maybe today is just a simple opportunity for you to start looking for God in the midst of your problems. Maybe today is a day for you to renew your hope that there is potential in every problem when you belong to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word in the book of Acts. We thank you that you're this kind of God that can bring potential out of every problem. No matter where that problem uh, erupts, whether that's in the church whether it's in our personal lives, in our families, in our workplaces, God, you're working. You're not just sitting there. You're bringing good out of even the bad things in our lives. And we see, Lord, how you've done this ultimately in Jesus, how you've brought us so much good out of the problem of our sin and our rebellion. And we trust you. Help us to trust you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.